Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, yeah. Better than this. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do this shit. What's better than this? Guys, being dudes here on the Draft Dudes Podcast, presented by Locked On. It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. It is Mock Draft Monday here on this podcast, and we're not really doing a mock draft, but we are going to spend time reminiscing about the 2011 NFL Draft. Kyle, welcome. I'm excited to talk about the original Greg Little today, Joe. The original Greg Little. 59th overall of the Cleveland Browns, wide receiver out of North Carolina. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking of a comparable offensive lineman. No, no, just the original Greg Little. Um, Greg Little found a way to stay in the NFL for a long time. I mean, he had some of the worst hands the NFL's ever seen. <laughs> hey, listen, the guy in front of him didn't have great hands either, Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith's still cooking, though, brother. He is still cooking. Didn't have great hands. Basically. Did they have Did they have Braylon Edwards and Greg Little at the same time? Uh, what year Braylon come out? Twenty thirteen or twenty twelve? It would. <laughs> there's probably a good chance that that they did. And they had to have, yeah. Wait, uh, no, Braylon, Braylon was like oh. Seven. He was earlier. Yeah, he was earlier. Yeah. Uh, he was on the Brown. No, he. Yeah, I'm way early on that. Two thousand five to two thousand eight, he was on the Browns. Big yikes. 1,200 yards in 2007. We're not here to talk about 2007 draft, though. We're uh, talking about 2011. Yeah, so... This is a hell of a class, dude. I think that this draft produced, reasonably produced, at some point over the last, since 2011, the best edge rusher in the league, the best wide receiver in the league, the best cornerback in the league, the best defensive lineman in the league, Was that the best center in the league. Quarterback. Corner. No, brother, I'm not taking it that far. Well, it's, you know, Cam won the MVP in 2015. He did, but in, in 2015, was anybody saying that Cam Newton was the best quarterback in the league? Like, no. 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 But all of those other positions, there's no question about it that I was correct in what I just said. Really uh, high praise there for Prince of Mukamara. Or Richard Sherman. Or Patrick Peterson. Hey, Prince of Mukamara, brother. That dude's a starter for the Chicago Bears right now. He is. He is. He's had a great career. But I was just teasing because it was like low light, low hanging fruit, you know? And Kyle Krabs would never not take the low hanging fruit, would he? No, I would never. Um, so I guess the first thing that we can talk about is nine of the first 11 picks and 12 of the first 16 picks have gone to the Pro Bowl, which is pretty impressive. There's two separate defensive players of the year in the first 15 picks. There's a Super Bowl MVP who somehow did not win NFL (laughs) Defensive Player of the Year in the first 15 picks, an NFL MVP in the first 15 picks. Um and three of the four guys in the first 15 that didn't 16 that didn't make the pro bowl were busted quarterback guys that quite frankly didn't belong going in the top 15 
I think that's one of my big takeaways when I think about this 2011 draft is it taught me one thing and then it taught me another thing. It originally taught me that every quarterback has a chance of being taken in the first round because Jake Locker, Brian Gabbert, and Christian Ponder were all top 12 picks. And I was like, oh my God, the NFL is just going to throw darts until they stick if this is the way things are going to be. But then, right, there's like a shift in the last three or four years where I don't think if those players were prospects in the 2020 draft that they would be taken in the first round. It's like the NFL was like, hey, we're going to take everyone early, and now it's like, no, 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 we're going to be stingy again. Yeah, it was like there was this thirst. And I guess if you really think about it, Joe, you think about the quarterback landscape, we've seen such a a profound infusion of talent at the quarterback position over the last four years. I don't think they're quite hungry for it the way that they used to be. Does that make sense? There's always teams teams that need quarterbacks. But think about we've almost seen half of these starters in the NFL – have been drafted at the quarterback position, have been drafted in the last four years. So a lot of teams, a lot of teams have a young quarterback. And then there's teams that have guys in their mid thirties and quarterbacks are playing longer. So I just think that the, the urgency to force these kinds of picks isn't there anymore. I don't want to get into this debate, but at some time we should is there's this thought right now between quarterbacks and coordinators, right? Like, is it you take a quarterback with a a certain skill set and insert him into a scheme and it's going to be just fine, or does quarterbacks transcend scheme? I have strong takes, but I don't want to get into them right now. Neither do I. You know what I I do have strong takes on that I want to get into right now? Yes. Excuse my French, but J.J. fucking Watt. What a monster. J.J. Watt is. Have you gone back and looked at the numbers? Uh, Very familiar with Mr. J.J. Watt, yes. So J.J. Watt was picked 11th. You think the uh, Tennessee Titans or Jacksonville Jaguars wouldn't like a a chance to (laughs) remake that pick? Uh, A little bit. J.J. Watt got picked 11th. And after his rookie season, his next four years, he was named All-Pro first team four times. He was named the AP Defensive Player of the Year three times in those four years. And in those four years, J.J. Watt had 69 sacks, 119 tackles for loss, 190 quarterback hits, 15 forced fumbles, and 41 passes defensed in four years. He has better ball production than half the corners in the league. (laughs) (laughs) as an interior defensive lineman 69 sacks in four years and almost 200 quarterback hits in four years just astronomical production and then he gets hurt and he plays eight games in two years and then in 2018 at 29 years old he's back 16 sacks 18 tackles for loss and seven forced fumbles J.J. Watt, I said it to you and Brad this morning on Twitter, that four-year stretch of J.J. Watt is the most dominant football I have ever seen in my lifetime a football player play regardless of position. He was unstoppable. 
It's a correct take. I mean, honestly, yeah, I don't I, I think I've said in this podcast at some point in the hundreds of episodes that we've done is that we're going to talk to our grandkids about that stretch of football from J.J. Watt. I mean, I, I don't know that it'll ever be replicated. I've never seen anything more dominant. And I, I mean, it's just as special as it gets. So I'm with you that that stretch of football is the most dominant my eyes have ever seen. They played him on offense. <laughs> he had three touchdown catches the one year. I think it was 2014. I think he had three touchdown catches on top of everything else that he did that year. Probably should have been the MVP that year. Right. But, yeah. How, this this overall, like, defensive line edge group is just insane. It, well, there's yeah. going to be five guys from this class that have 100 career sacks. Von Miller, J.J. Watt, Ryan Kerrigan, most underrated player in the world. Justin Houston, Cameron Jordan, Robert Quinn, Jarrell Casey, Casey Hayward. I mean, really top-tier premier NFL pass rushers and guys that, like I said, there's going to be five of these that have 100 sacks when it's all said and done. And you didn't even get into, like, Jarrell Casey was a third-round pick in this year's class. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Marcel Darius has had different roles throughout his career, but nobody's debating that he's been a successful player. Maybe not as good as some of the players that were taken just behind him, but there's some of the top-tier defensive linemen in the league that were found in this group of players. Now, you had mentioned Ryan Kerrigan, most underrated player in the world, you said. I think you said the world. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... W- his, his numbers are nothing to sneeze at at all. He's got 85 career sacks right now. Yep. And he's what, 30 years old? Uh, he is 30 days, 30 years and 312 days. Yep. So he'll be 31 this year. Uh, he had good tape too at Purdue. I remember his tape. Now I was like super casual as a draft fan you know the football fan but you know I talked a lot about how I got into the draft and it was uh, the fact that the Dolphins were effectively eliminated from contention in October every single year you start looking for players and this was kind of the, the the time of my life where I'm just getting out of college so I wasn't coaching anymore I wasn't fully into the the evaluation game but paying attention and, and making note of players and Kerrigan was a guy and I really wanted uh, for the Dolphins to target as a pass rusher. And, you know, seeing him kind of quietly work through his career. And he's getting better with age, honestly. I mean, four of his last five years, he's had double-digit sacks. Three of the last five years, he's had at least 13 sacks, including the last two. Just continuing to plug along. And nobody talks about him at all. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like we have mentioned that he's underrated, but across the NFL landscape, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's just a given. It's just like he's underappreciated in the landscape of, of NFL pass rushers, and he really shouldn't be because he's absolutely dominant. Three consecutive seasons right now of at least 11 sacks, 13 the last two, 85, like you said, and since 2011, I mean, he, he is he's a really outstanding football player. Now, do you remember what we talked about last week? The 2010 the draft. 
No shit, Joe. <laughs> Who did the Seahawks get in the 2010 NFL draft? They got two big players. Oh, yeah, they got – well, they got uh, Cam Chancellor and Earl Thomas. Yes. In 2011, the Seahawks got Sherman in the fifth round. <laughs> Richard Sherman is a fifth-round pick, and they got Doug Baldwin as an undrafted free agent. And what in the – what in the hell is yeah, going on? They got KJ Wright, too, in this draft, right? Yeah. That's how you build a I nucleus mean, in two years. Yeah, <laughs> this, this was the foundation of the, obviously, the Legion of Boom, but just like the entire push in Seattle and this, you know, I remember 2013, this brash Seattle team and, you know, they got this attitude and swagger about them and all these guys are kind of like, well, where'd the heck these guys come from? And you knew who Earl Thomas was, but the rest of these guys, I mean, it, it's a textbook version of finding guys that fit your scheme, making sure they have the traits and, and you know, the, the scouting mantra of, you know, tell me what a player can do. Well, Cam Chancellor in this physical cover three defense for Seattle, he's the guy that's effectively the extra defender in the box. But that doesn't work if you don't have Earl Thomas behind it Mm -hmm. with his range to play in the middle of the field. And it also doesn't work unless you have the physical corners who can play press and jam coverage at the line of scrimmage and then still get back and key the quarterback and play cover three. And it just, it all fits together. And I thought that that was, that's something I wrote about today, talking about how Richard Sherman was the greatest steal of the 2011 NFL draft. The blend of player individual traits and and qualities, the scheme and the players that you piece around that player can impact that player's success. And then the football intelligence side of it. Joe, I don't know if you had a chance to watch, but in that article I embedded, it's an eight-minute video highlighting Richard Sherman, student of the game. And Sherman's talking about um, how he watches tape and understanding uh, formations based on the area of the field and down and distance and game situations. And that tells you so much about what an opposing team is going to do. And he has this deep-rooted understanding of it because he played wide receiver for three years at Stanford. And then he goes into talking about how the perception – that good corners don't get picks because opposing quarterbacks don't test them is wrong because great corners will show a quarterback what he wants to see because he understands what the concepts are. And then he baits him into throws. And that's how Richard Sherman ended up getting uh, 24 interceptions in his first four years in the league and had this phenomenal production because he understood the concepts. So, I thought it was a really good embodiment of the scouting process and how of how and why all of the pieces of the puzzle matter because that's where you can get a guy like Richard Sherman who half the league was going to play at wide receiver. They weren't even going to play him on defense even though he played his last few years at Stanford on the defensive side of the football. So looking at this defensive back class in 2011, I mean obviously the headliner – Richard Sherman, Patrick Peterson, and you could debate those as being at at some point over the last eight years as being the best at their respective position in the NFL. Jimmy Smith is also in this group. 
Prince of Mukamura, Buster Screen, who's still making a living as a slot corner somehow. Um, not great depth overall, but you do have two premier talents in Sherman and Peterson and a couple of other starters. But I think when you look at the back seven, like the linebackers, the best linebacker from this group was, was K.J. Wright, and that's about it. I mean, it's a pretty barren class when it comes to back seven players outside of who I just kind of met listed. How dare you disrespect Chris Conte, the human cape like that? Brother, Chris Conte, I, I, I witnessed him die on national TV. <laughs> Who did he get run over by, McDonald? No, it was, wasn't it Mike Evans? No. Wasn't it Vance McDonald in Pittsburgh? Yeah, Vance McDonald. Yeah, Chris Conte was on was on the uh, was on the Bucks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, rest in peace. We would be remiss to not talk about this running back class as well, Joe. I'm looking at some of the names that went in the first two rounds. <laughs> we have Daniel Thomas. What happened there? I had that queued up as a question I wanted to ask you. Soft. He ran soft, he was soft, he was physically soft, just did not have the mentality of a football player. Michael LaShore went ahead of him at 57. <laughs> 807 career rushing yards. <laughs> Shane Vereen went at 56. I mean, you could have done a lot worse. You could yeah. have picked any of those other two guys. Uh, Mark Ingram at 28 in this class. Um and that looks like it's it as far as the first two rounds, but kind of odd, right? Because we talk about running backs don't matter, but this was before running backs don't matter and teams were still targeting backs early. And maybe the perception that high investments in backs just kind of came from, we picked all the shitty ones first. (laughs) Well, I mean, Mark Ingram was in this group, right? Mark Ingram is perfectly fine, but you look at, Michael LaShore, Shane Vereen, and Daniel Thomas, and the next two guys to go behind him were DeMarco Murray and Steven Ridley, who were better backs. Yeah. So we got, what, two NFL starters out of this this group? Maybe three. So Murray was a preferred starter at one point. Mark Ingram and then Deion Lewis, who's kind of like sort of a starter, I guess. Some two and a half. Powell was in this group. Yeah. So there's some contributors, but as far as like bell cow feature backs, maybe or two. RB1s, maybe two. Yeah. Taiwan Jones made it, had, a, had a nice career going right now as a special teams guy, man. Got yeah. a lot of respect for that guy. Uh, Raiders, Bills, I think he's on Houston now. Dude. The Seahawks got Byron Maxwell in this class, too. Right, right. Yeah, I, was gonna, I had that in the bank as well. What in the world? That's how you win Super Bowls, man. You hit on draft picks like that. Un- unbelievable stretch for the Seahawks. So, uh, how about the quarterbacks beyond Cam Newton? Uh, no. Yeah, we got to talk about it. I don't want to. Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton has thrown the most, has the most passing attempts of any quarterback in the 2011 draft. Colin Kaepernick winked the pick after him as well. He did. Tyrod Taylor. Nice little run there. Tyrod Taylor is a, uh, what was he, fifth round? Sixth, I mean, 180 overall, sixth round. Going behind the likes of Nathan Anderlay, <laughs> TJ Yates, uh, Ricky Stanzi, the legend, and then Ryan Mallett oh, in God. the third round of the Patriots. Listen, 
We went from Kaepernick at 36, we had Mallet at 74, and then nothing until 135. A big gap. That's honestly how it should be. Right, yeah, that's how my that's how my board is every year. <laughs> it's a lot like that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, what quarterback are you gonna invest in in round three? That like, unless you absolutely positively wanted to guarantee that a guy was not going to go off the board in front of you at the beginning of round four on day three. Right. But if you do that, do me a favor, okay? And make sure that you don't end up picking and trading up for somebody like C.J. Beathard. (laughs) Because that's how you waste multiple draft picks. And next thing you know, you look up and he's your third round, third string quarterback. Careful, up for him. Careful on the Iowa slander, Kyle. Care. I know. I know. Very passionate fan base. I know. I put him down. You did that poll on Twitter. I put Iowa down. <laughs> was I the only one that voted for him? I bet I was. Uh, no. I think there was one more. I was stunned. I got more than one vote for for Colorado, and apparently their reputation comes from like the early '90s when they had the rivalry with Nebraska. But, like, y'all, that was 25 years ago. Colorado's won, like, had one winning season in, like, the last six years. Good luck, Mel Tucker. Uh, how about this wide receiver group, Kyle? Julio Jones, A.J. Green, Randall Cobb, Torrey Smith have been your five most productive. After that, it's like Jeremy Curley, Cecil Shorts, Daenerys Moore. So we've got like the two best receivers in the league, a pretty good slot receiver, a deep threat, and then that's like it for the entire class. Yeah. We also have um, missed running back Ryan Williams from Virginia Tech, by the way. He went 38th when we're talking about running backs. Bust. Um, Again, we picked all the bad ones first. Maybe that's the problem. (laughs) Really sad story with Titus Young, who got picked talking about wide receivers – uh, he went to, to Detroit at 44, and it seems like he's just battled some mental health issues, I believe. Um, never really got his footing as far as being a pro player. He had 81 catches for 990 yards in his NFL career playing two seasons. Did really well as a rookie, Joe. 48 catches, 600 yards, and six touchdowns. But he fell into legal trouble as early as, early as 2013, um, was sentenced to four years in prison in 2017 mm. based on assault with a deadly weapon and felony battery. But it all kind of came back to he suffered some head injuries along the way, and it, it really facilitated some mental health issues for him. So if you're looking for players that like get a bad rap, People will hear Titus Young was drafted in the top 50 and they say, who? Or they'll say, wow, what a bust. But like, this is a really sad situation to, to kind of see. And it's the dangers of football. And you know, this, this is the great debate these days is, is how do we make the game safer and avoid you know, occurrences like what happened to Titus Young? And Joe, I don't, I don't think there, there is no easy answer. But I don't think there's ever a way that you're going to be able to fully eliminate that from the game the way that it is because it's a contact sport mm-hmm. and and that it's just some of it has to come back to there's inherent risk with playing football yep 
And you you don't want to just resign yourself to that. And I applaud the NFL for making all the changes that they have over the last couple of years, even if it's quote unquote soft in the game. But we won't even know now what the impact is of the changes they've made to the game because the players that are experiencing the different game have to be out of the league for five, 10 years before we see it. So it's a really difficult situation that the league is in and, and, Case studies like the, the Titus Youngs of the world have, have put us in a tough situation where you want to look out for the the best well-being of the players, but how do you accomplish that? And I don't know. Uh, if I can spin this in a positive direction, um, how about some of the centers that this draft class produced? Uh, Mike Pouncey, Rodney Hudson, and Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey was picked 191 overall, three Pro Bowl caliber centers from this year's uh, draft class. And I remember Rodney Hudson being one of my draft crushes from this year. I know he's like he's like 280 pounds or something like that coming out. But he was so athletic and mobile, mobile with, with, with good play strength. He was like one of my first offensive line crushes. And he's been one of the most consistent players in the league, uh, especially over the last three years, grading very high, starting all 16 games. And uh, he's, a, he's actually a guy whose contract's up after this season that I think is in, he's in line for one more big payday. So you got three really outstanding centers that this 2011 group produced. All right, last segment here, Joe. I want you to look through this draft class, and I want you to find your favorite player that did not work out. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is a tough exercise. I'm going to try and stall as I do it because I don't have it picked out for me, but I saw a couple names along the way that made me want to ask this. There's one that's popping right now. Oh, Steven Paya. I'm not going to go with him, but he did like 50 reps. Remember that? (laughs) He had like 30-inch arms or something. Yeah, dude, cranked them out, man. I think I've got my name. I think I have mine too, but I'm just going to do a quick double check. Who's your name? Gabe Karimi. Wisconsin uh, pedigree, right? Yeah. Bears. uh, I thought he was going to go a lot higher, and he fell to what, like the end of the first round? 29 overall to Chicago, yep. Yeah, I mean, not that I was like super nuanced with my ability to like – study tape or whatever, but I just felt like he was going to be a really good pro and maybe he had like some good seasons or something like that. But by and large, I think his career is known as a disappointment. I'm looking up some stats on that actually. Who's your name? Down to a few. Oh, I bet you didn't like Phil Taylor. I can tell you that. That seems like the opposite of somebody you would like. I mean, I liked him for what he was. Really? It's a nose tackle. I liked... Um, where the hell did he go? I liked Mallet a fair bit. But if I had to pick one... Um, Daquan Bowers is probably the one for me. Clemson pass rushers, Kyle. You should have known. Clemson pass rushers, yep. Should have known, man. Shame on me. Was this the year? 
Was this the suck for luck year? And then luck went back to school. Yeah, because the Panthers were going to get Andrew Luck. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember this very well. The the NFL went nuclear when Luck went back to school. Like, everybody lost their minds. Yeah, especially living in Carolina because everyone was like, oh, he just doesn't want to play for the Panthers, who were like 1-15. in 15. They had like – it was like the year Chris Winky was a starting quarterback. Just a terrible football team. And Great um, name, though. Right. I think he's still he's coaching somewhere. <laughs> remember Chris? He was like 28 years old when he got drafted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Totally a remarkable situation. The original Brandon Whedon. Yeah, but I mean, like, even more, though. Like, he was older than Brandon Whedon. Um, yeah, and so they're like, oh, Andrew Luck doesn't want to play for the Panthers. And then, lo and behold, Peyton Manning gets injured, and that's the only reason why Indianapolis is picking number one. And the rest is history. Who, who picked two that year? Who picked two in 2012? Yeah. It's time to find out. A little sneak peek for next week. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about this. It's uh, the Washington Redskins and RG3. Well, they, they, they traded up. They traded up from St. Louis. So St. Louis would have originally held it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. All right. We, we are not allowed to talk about this class anymore. It's not as good as the one we just talked about. Abort. Abort. <laughs> Abort. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed today's episode of Draft Dudes. Uh, if you have takes for tomorrow's takes on takes, hit us up. Joe is at the Joe Marino. I am at Grinding the Tape. And uh, hit subscribe. Come back and see us. We promise. If you bring the heat, we'll have the fun. Kyle Krabs signing off with Joe Marino. Thanks as always for listening to the Draft Dudes podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.